Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout. Your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. Now, as we record this episode, author Amelia Neymark is getting set for the release of her brand new book, Behind the Lie, which picks up where her first one, Hide in Place, left off. In the sequel, her character Lainey Bird's closest friend vanishes in the aftermath of a shooting, which may implicate Lainey's son. We look at how the two books connect, as well as how they can be read as standalone stories. Amelia and I also talk about Lainey as a character and how she came to be, and how the close relationship between character and author helped influence the story. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you're here joining us. Hope you're having a great day. And of course, for this episode, we are going to be talking all about books, specifically new books, specifically the new book Behind the Lie, which is now available at this moment, as of this recording, the book was just released, and it's a really amazing thriller of a story. And joining me to talk all about it is the author, Amelia Neymark. Uh, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's oh. very exciting. All right. The book is hot off the press. I know. So, so now this is your second book to date. So what is release day like for you? Release day during the pandemic is is me sitting at home and scrolling through all my social media basically and thanking everybody for congratulating me that's that's really staying oh, during the uh, um, they they you know, so, they took they took so much from you they took so much from all the writers well, you know i wouldn't know cuz i both of my release days have been during the pandemic so i don't know but um but all i can say is that um I get, for for all I know, I get a lot more attention from people from around the country, whereas beforehand, it probably, you know, who knows, maybe I would have had to rely just on local, you know, local people. So now it's like everywhere. So yeah, that, that's, it is, it is, you know, it's kind of fun. Kind of interesting kicking off your, uh, your career during COVID. So for you, this is normal, yeah. you know, releasing books strictly yeah. online, doing like virtual chats and podcasts. This is normal. But for a lot of folks who've been doing this for a long time, you know, they'll schedule the book tours, they'll schedule the signings and the readings, and they'll get to the expos yeah. and the conventions. So you get to do none of that. You get to just, you know, put something I, out on social I, media. I get to do none of it. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how you would put it. But, but so, you know, um, someday, yeah. you know, I mean, like, you know, we, uh, we have seen some book expos return. Um, I know uh, Boscone, which is this collection of really cool, like science fiction and fantasy writers. They're doing a hybrid version this year. Last year, of course, was totally virtual. This year, they're coming back partially. I know that um, the Rhode Island Author Expo, which is in my area, happened back mm -hmm. in December and that was full force you know everyone was back in person so we have seen some things return so I'm curious if there's any expos in your area any kind of book conventions or festivals that you want to be a part of well I actually went to my first in-person one in November and it was actually in, in in your neck of the woods it was in uh Dedham in Massachusetts and it's <laughs> I mean I don't know how close that is to you but it's pretty close yeah it's pretty close <laughs> yeah it's pretty close, um, but it's a it's a convention called Crime Bake, and it's it's all of these like crime and suspense and thriller authors, and we all get together and and you know it's like you get a couple of hundred people who always just have murder on their minds, and you get them all into <laughs> into you know a hotel bar. Oh, the, con the conversations the must be absolutely amazing. I would love to be a fly yeah. on that wall. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. And it's fun because we've we've all done a lot of research. <laughs> so you all just like talk about like you know how to like you know murder someone, how you would kind of cover yeah. it up and solve the crime. Yeah. Exactly, how to get away with it, yeah. <laughs> and there's, well, the, the amazing thing is that so many people in that writing community are ex-law enforcement, so there's a, and lawyers, so there's a lot of lawyers, a lot of ex-detectives, um, a lot of, you know, just, uh, there's FBI people, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting crowd, so. I'll bet. Now, you yourself are actually none of those things. You are not a law enforcement. You're not a lawyer. Um, but your husband is. He is with the NYPD for 20 years, which that's that's a hero right there. And I know that he was kind of a big influence on you getting into writing in the first place and kind of influencing how you wrote. So my question is, how did his like expertise kind of help you as a writer? Yeah, so he was he is the reason why I decided to to write crime, because yeah, I, I read very eclectically. I read I read science fiction and you know any historical whatever whatever it is. If it's well written, I'm going to read it. I'm going to love it. And I kind of tried my hand at writing all these different kinds of genres. And finally, I was like, well, I I've been listening to these stories for like years now. I I can I've been listening to them so much that I can like really replicate the dialogue. I mean, I can like talk the talk. Um, and I, I was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just letting a, a, this amazing opportunity go by if I don't write crime, if I don't write about an actual criminal case. And so, yeah, so I started writing that and, and he, he was very good. He, you know, cause you know, if you, if you, no matter how much you think, you know, a lot of it, if you're not in it, a lot of it is kind of based on you watching TV shows and movies. So sometimes, sometimes even the questions you ask are ridiculous. So, and so, uh, and and this may yeah. come as a big shock to everyone, but TV shows are not accurate to real life. I know. Isn't Who that knew? shocking? Who Isn't that shocking? Knew? However, however, there is there is a, a storyline on Law and Order that is real and that really happened to somebody my husband worked with. And it's yeah, it, and I don't know if you remember. I don't know how how many Law and Order episodes you've watched. Uh, all of them. All of them. Okay, several so do times. You the one, several times. So do you remember the one where uh, the guys wheel their dead friend in an office chair to a cash checking place to cash his welfare check? Actually, I may have missed that one. Shame on that me. Really happened. That totally happened. It totally happened, and it totally happened to somebody my husband worked with. So. Wow. Real story. Cool. Yeah. So when it comes to deciding, you know, like what path of story goes, do you go to your husband and say, okay, what about X, Y, and Z? Does that work? And he kind of gets back to you and says, no, that, you know, we got to do this and change that and do this. So I have to, I have to have the story for, cause the story is comes first because what needs to happen needs to happen. And then I go to him and I say, how can this happen? And he's very good. He will tell me, and every once in a while, he'll be like, never, that will never, never undo, you have to change it. Once in a while, I have to change it, because he's like, no. <laughs> How dedicated are you to making a story that's like 100% totally possible in real life? Doesn't, you know. I'm 100%. I have to be. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a geek, you know. I'm a, I'm a complete geek. So if it's not accurate, I will not be able to sleep. <laughs> At night, it will not be good. So it has to be plausible. Maybe like maybe not completely. You know, happens a hundred percent of the time. Maybe it's something that happens like very rarely. But it has to be a possibility in the real universe. And then you know, and then then I I, I can feel okay about writing it. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, nice. Did you go through a lot of drafts before you came up with an idea that your husband said, yep, that's it, you got it? I By the time I came to him, I was, one draft was done because, like I said, I need the story to be there and the characters to be there. And then by the time I came to him, it was with the details. Okay, because, gotcha. So in the first book, in the first book, my character is an undercover, um, not, um, like narcotics detective. So she has to go, she has to pretend to be 
a, a drug user and, and she has to buy drugs in this racketeering case. And I had to, you know, for that, I had to get a lot of details. And then in the second book, um, my character, she faces a situation where, it, it, so I'll give you an example. If you're not a cop, you think that, okay, there's, you know, someone comes over to you and he and says, I know there's somebody being kept prisoner in house number A. Can you as a cop go in there? What do you think? Ooh, ooh, okay, okay. Again, I know nothing about, about uh, law enforcement. It's, it's all based on like law and order and such. Um, yeah. No, because that's not good enough. You need to have probable cause and reliable information. You can't just kick down the door exactly. because someone says this one little thing. Exactly, exactly. So I had to, you win. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I had to like ask him, I was like, okay, I need the cops to go into this place, into house number A. Um, what needs to happen? So he gave me all these things. He's like, okay, it can be this, it can be that, it can be that. And I'm like, okay, that one works. And then I was able to kind of write it in. And then I wrote it in in such a way so that you know, the reader, the reader knows it too, because I kind of had my character say, well, I can't just go in. So basically your stories have like the law enforcement seal of approval because this is totally like accurate. Yeah. Until, until of course, you know, we both listened to it on audio and then my husband's like, I wish you had asked me about that one. I'm like, well, I didn't think to ask you about that one. Oh <laughs> no. Know? Oh no. <laughs> so, so everyone's, <laughs> Every once in a while, there's like a moment, and then uh, and then a couple of of his coworkers, you know, colleagues read it too, and their reaction was the same. They were like, "It was really good," you know. I except for that one part where I was just like, "It just would never happen like that." I'm like, "Well, you know, <laughs> small part." <laughs> you know? I think that every genre has its like expert pool that can find the things that can find the mistakes I think for like science fiction it's you know like astronomers or, yeah. uh, and, and, and of course for like thriller writers it's law enforcement they would be like nope this this and this never would happen in real life yeah <laughs> well yeah. close you know you got pretty close <laughs> yeah yeah I got close exactly so. All right, so let's talk about the new book, Behind the Lie. This is released through Crooked Lane Books uh, as of February 8th, so it's hot the presses, folks. Get your copy. It's out there uh, right now. This is your second book featuring your, your main character, Lainey, but the two books aren't necessarily like connected other than the character. They are, they are basically both like standalone books I read. Was that your intention when like writing it? No, it was absolutely my intention because I want each one to be its own individual unit. So each one can be read completely without the other. You, you don't have to know what's going on, what happened in the first one to get the full enjoyment out of the second one. Um, and uh, I mean, if you do read them together, you kind of see a progression and there's a character arc that happens, but you don't need to, you don't need to know the arc to kind of be able to enjoy it in the moment. Okay. Um, how do you how do you um how do you accomplish that? How do you like write it in such a way that you don't necessarily need to read the first book to really get everything with the second book? I, I, that's actually a really good question because I I um I think some authors feel that they have to kind of summarize everything um in in their like at the beginning of a series in order because they feel like it's really important. But I I don't think it is because. For example, if you were telling a story about your own life, about something that happened to you, you know, during the pandemic year, you wouldn't have to go back and tell somebody about something that happened to you 10 years ago, right? You don't. I mean, it's just the story that happened to you this year is that story. Everything that happened before it is backstory. So in the second book, I put in a little bit of the backstory just to kind of give you an idea of who the characters were, but that's really all that was necessary. So. I like that. I like that yeah. because for me, I think one of the biggest turnoffs when it comes to picking up a new book is if I realize, oh, this is part of a series and there's five books prior. Yeah, never mind. You know, it's always that kind of thing with, yeah. So it's, yeah. I like that you wrote it this way. I think it's very like, very, I, th I think it's very uh, reader friendly, basically. It's reader friendly. 
honestly, and I, I think it's kind of authentic too. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to know how people grow up or, you know, their last, whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about stories. So in your first book, Hide in Place, Lainey Bird is, a, is, is an NYPD undercover cop whose cover is blown in a racketeering case against the Russian mob. She flees the city, finds her new home in Sylvan, and everything works out just fine. Until it doesn't. Um, when her son actually actually vanishes. And that is a huge, huge story for your first one. Second one, you know, again, Lainey just wants to have a nice, you know, you know a peaceful life. Block party happens. Block party explodes. Her friend vanishes, another one vanishes, and her son becomes involved in the case too. That's a complicated story. So my question to you, um, Amelia, is how did you plot this out? How much detail did you put into the outline before you actually wrote the story itself? So I, I outline before I start, and then I just I start writing the draft. And the way I write the draft is that I write, I write, and then if I start feeling uncertain about something. I just write anything, any kind of scene about the characters that comes to mind. So it's, it doesn't, it's, it's, I think probably 95% of what I write during that process does not actually end up in the book because it's all me figuring out who the characters are and what their relationships are. And for a big chunk of this book, I was going to um, this in-person writing group which which I miss so much I, I just miss this writing group so much but we would we would meet once a week in this pastry shop it was wonderful and we'd sit there and we'd write to a prompt and whenever there, and whatever prompt there was I would just free associate and I would have you know whatever it was that was going on in the book would be in my mind and I would feel it out and so what happens is I write to the outline with these side side, you know, trips to backstory and character development. And then usually within six to nine months, I have a solid draft. And then, and then I go back and I re-outline because by then like things have shifted. And then what ended up happening is I was writing the second book before I sold it. So I was in my mind, I was thinking, okay, it could be a standalone, which like, it's not these characters, or it could be part two. And I wrote two completely different drafts with, but it was the same story, but two different drafts. And when I find, when I sold it, I cut them. I cut each, I printed my outline. I cut it into strips and then I like paste. And it ended up being about seven feet long. Like if I stood up with it, it's like an app. It's like, and it was, then, then I wrote the final draft from that. Wow. So and your, then, so your final draft is this, uh, is this like amalgam of the first two. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a cool process. Wow. Yeah. How did you decide to do that? It just seemed the right, seemed the right thing to do. Um, and uh, I was thinking of uh, William Burroughs. You know, I was just thinking, do you, are you familiar with, uh, he had like a cut up method that he would oh, do. Oh, no, no, please. Yeah, he would, he would write, you know, he'd write, 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 and then he would cut you know, literally cut his writing into strips, throw it up in the air. The way it landed, he would tape it back together. And that would be, you know, his poem or his his thing, whatever it was that he was was uh, was writing. And I, I adore William Burroughs. So I was like, well, if, if it's good enough for him, I can at least, you know, mine is at least, mine is going to make sense. Well, that, well, that, that's, well that's encouraging. But that's a good method. But that's a good method. You know? That's good. That's good. Wow. Yeah. Such a cool process. I've honestly never heard of that. I mean, I'm not really familiar um, with Burroughs' work. So that's the first time I'm really, I'm really hearing about this being his method. But such a cool approach. Very, very cool. Um, I'm curious in terms of the difference between what you came up with and what you started with. Are those two completely different stories? So the central story um, was the same so that so each each book has its own kind of central crime so the central crime for book two concerns um a what this one this woman um who is you know who lives in this small town uh she's married she's got you know her three children she's like 
perfect Uber wife. Everything is perfect. She's like perfectly pleasant. Everything is, you know, she's like this amazing person. And she's basically kind of insane. Like she's, she's driving herself so hard to be everything to everybody that she's absolutely just destroying her herself and her own life. So she is looking down the barrel of this kind of metaphorical gun of, of her family being completely like homeless very soon because of all the things that she's done wrong that nobody knows about. She's the only one who knows about it. And she she basically gets the, the, an opportunity to fix it. And in order to fix it, she has to do some, she has to commit several crimes. And, uh, you know, and that, that, that was the central crime of book two. And when I was thinking of it as, as a standalone, I thought, okay, well, that is the book. And then there's people around it. Um, and then when I was thinking of this part of a series, I'm like, well, I know exactly who she is in this in this universe that I created in the first book. So that that was a good fit. So that's how I was thinking about it. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the universe. I mean, obviously this is set in the real world. Um, do you have to do a lot of like world building though when it comes to like the specifics of Sylvan and the people in Lainey's life? It's very easy because it's the town where I live. Oh, there we go. The, the street, yeah, the street where she lives is the street where I live. I changed the name of the street. I changed the name of the town. Everything else is the same. I think I even left the names of the highways the same. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of like, I Google mapped it. I'm like, okay, th this character needs to get from this town to, you know, Newburgh. How, oh. how are they going to get, and how long would it take? And so it's, it's, it's basically... This is it, except for the one change of the name. Because I didn't, I didn't want somebody, be, you know, telling me like, oh, yeah. someone always will. Someone will always tell <laughs> you and get something will. wrong. Someone will always yeah. do that. There's always that one person who says, yeah. "Excuse me, be about on page uh, one forty-seven. When you say they turned, they took a left onto Smith Drive. It was actually <laughs> Smith Lane." You think, dude, yeah. you're way too totally. involved in that. Way too involved. Next question. Yeah. yeah um, totally. Did you wind up putting people you knew in the book in some fashion or another? So I try to stay away from that, actually, because, um, you know, for obvious reasons, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to create drama and I'm trying to write, write about people doing really bad things, committing crimes. Um, they're not, you know, I... I definitely, you know, all kinds of stuff that they're doing that are immoral, that they justify to themselves. Like, why why would I want to invite <laughs> that into my life by saying, oh, I wrote about my neighbor at like 15, number 15. Right, you know, right. No, you know. <laughs> so, no, they, they're not, they're not real people. They're bits and pieces of people I know of myself, whatever it is, but then pushed, pushed to the limit. Yeah, because... I figure there's really only two things that they're going to be, either victims or the, or, or the, uh, the bad guys. And neither one's really like a good thing to, to, for your life, your like neighbor to say, so you kill me off in chapter two. What the heck's up with that? Well, yeah, that was funny because uh, one of my neighbors who was reading the first book, she's like, oh, that's your husband. And you kill him in the third chapter. I'm like, no, no. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah. Ne never, never uh, take off a writer because they'll put you in the book, and it won't be in a good way. I know. I've seen it happen. I've seen it. You know. It's oh, not pretty. Wow. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk a little more about Alani's character. Um, so, as I mentioned before, you you had the expert input of your husband. How did Lainey come to be? How did you go about creating her? All right. So when I thought of her, I thought. Um, what does it feel like to be a woman in a in a man's world and a woman who is just so alone i meet her so alone you know she just she she loses everything before basically the first chapter um and i i became she just became this kind of interesting person for me to be inside her head and to sort of try to figure out how 
how is she going to handle just being at the bottom, at the lowest point of her life? How is she going to handle that? And how is she going to rise out of that? And uh, that's basically what, yeah, really both of these books, that's her arc. Her arc is rebuilding herself. Hmm. How close do you come with your characters? Like how, how much do they become like real people to you? Oh, they're real. They're real. I walk around, I walk around with my friend. One of my friends is a um, psychiatrist and we walk around, you know, during our pandemic walks. And I talk about these people, like they're totally real. Like we're psychoanalyzing them. And she, and and she accepts it. She's like, yes, I know they're real. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's, I feel like that that's kind of like, I feel like that's kind of like a parent saying, yes, son, I totally agree with you. Santa Claus is real. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Like lady is totally real. She's absolutely real. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know they're your imaginary friends, but I know they're real. (laughs) (laughs) But how does that impact your writing when you, when, when you become so close to these people? Uh, well, I think it just makes me understand them more. You know, I, I just, they become so authentic that, you know, when you, when you write a plot line, I just know, I just know whether this person would do this or not do it. And sometimes people are like, well, it would make a lot of sense if, if this happened, I'm like, no, but it couldn't because that, it's not who this character is. This character would never do that. And the more I think of it, it's like, all I have to do is just start thinking about it. And then it all begins to get more and more concrete, you know, more and more clear about who they are and what they think and what they want. You know, they, they live next door. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's great. Um, does that make it hard, though, when you come to a point where you have to basically kill off a character? Yeah, it is hard. It is hard um, because um, I guess I don't, I, I haven't wanted to go extremely, extremely dark. I haven't wanted to kind of have my heart ripped out because you do when you, when you write it, you, you really have to feel it and you feel it. And especially since most of the writing has been done during the pandemic, I have not wanting to go. I, I did not want to go that dark I mean they're dark the books are dark but um and people die but the ones who die deserve to die I haven't killed any I haven't killed anybody who hasn't deserved to die yet (laughs) one of these days I'm gonna have to yep sooner or later you're gonna have to have especially as I think as the series go on at some point you're going to have to like raise the bar on just like how dark things are going to get because if you keep doing the same thing the, re- the readers get a little bored they and they want more you know they want more i actually uh just finished recently um one of the more recent books by one of my, by one of uh, my favorite authors and i won't do a spoiler because people need to read the books but the ending had me just shocked i thought oh my god he actually went there Aww. and i feel like as a you know, especially as a writer of like crime stories, eventually you're, you are you are going to have to go there. You're gonna have to go to that new level to you know keep things exciting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to kill somebody. <laughs> you say this so <laughs> casually too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna ha- gonna have to kill someone today. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. The career comes first. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, given that you wrote both these books during the during you know the pandemic, a time when I think a lot of us are feeling really down, how do you sort of keep your like creative energies going? I don't know. Fair answer. <laughs> I think because, fair answer. Yeah, I think because like they they were started before the pandemic. Mm. You know, like the first one I edited it during, and and the second one I finished writing it and edited it during so that made the big difference i think if i had to get something started when it was going on i have no idea how that would have gone but um but thank god like the my little writing group they they did meet virtually for a while until even that fell apart and that helped and i i still miss them i'm just gonna keep saying that (laughs) maybe that maybe if i say it enough they'll come back (laughs) 
There you go. There you go. Were they able to offer any real key feedback on the story? It wasn't even about that. It was just, it was, it, it was just something, something about like how the prompts were and how we were just the structure of it. And everybody was just very nice and supportive. And like the worst thing they said was, well, you just keep, you just keep exploring this one couple's dynamic. It's going to get boring. I'm like, no, but I'm not getting, none of this is going into the book. This is just me understanding them. You know, that like, it, it wasn't about giving criticism. It was just about, ah, just writing, writing together. Mm-hmm. That was very nice. Very mm-hmm. nice. Okay. Um, we're going to dive a little more into, um, into the story of behind the lie. So, Following the violence at the party, you know, people close to Delaney fall under uh, fall under suspicion. Local authorities or colleagues question her own her uh, her own complicity in the case. Her fifteen year old son Alfie gets kind of involved. He's obviously hiding something. So there's a lot of personal connections here. This is not Laney investigating, you know, random incident number one. This is very much close to home. Obviously, the first book also very, very, very close to home because her son vanishes. So, how does that affect Lainey? The fact that this is not just something that she's kind of like removed from. This is something that's very, very personal for her. Right. So that's actually part of each book because part of each book is her figuring out all the ways in which she's failing on a personal or professional level, and then figuring out how to get on top of that. And some of it is her fault, and some of it is outside of her control. And part of her sort of internal growth is being able to understand what she can't control and what she can't control and how to handle it and how to be and maybe learn how to let some things go. So. Um, a lot of it has to do with just her, her sort of preconceptions about what life is and then learning that it's not that, that it's something else. And she has to be somehow a different, different. Is she good at letting go? Uh, she is not good at letting go. She's not, she's not, there's, there's a lot of situations where she should have let go a lot sooner and she, she doesn't, but, um, but she's, she's a tough cookie. So she learns, you know, (laughs) given how close you become to Lenny, I think to like all your characters, how do you avoid like softballing them just so they avoid the really heavy stuff? I don't know if I do avoid it. <laughs> it that's it's kind of hard for me to judge. Um, out of the sort of out of the reviews I read, I, I get the feeling that the readers don't think I'm softballing. The readers think that the characters are having bad things happen to them. So that's all I can. That that's a question I don't know if I can answer. If I can be you know removed enough from it. Yeah. Speaking of of um reviews you got one from hank philby ryan yes that hank philby ryan you know the the you know you may have heard of her she's a you know fairly decent writer you know a massively award-winning reporter she describes your book as devastating and immersive i think that's two very good words to assign to a story because you want a story this to have that punch you also want to draw it in um how'd you feel when you saw that review I was, I started crying. I can't believe, like, she's amazing. She just, I don't even, you know, I, I, I'm still speechless that she like read it and wrote that and thought that about it. Like I, I, the only thing I can say is I must've like pleased somebody somewhere for them to, you know, for that to have come true. Yeah. She was, she's great. She's amazing. And I'm very grateful. So, yeah, yeah, it felt amazing. (laughs) I actually got to meet her some years back. She was doing a book signing in a town where I was the reporter. And Mm -hmm. I went there, you know, did the story, and I got to meet her. I was like, wow, she's actually like a person, you know? I can shake her hand and everything. She's so good, and she's so good at making people feel, feel like, at ease. She's just, she's just like, like a classic 
person, you know, I, I, I read, um, in one of my like research things, I, I downloaded a book on Victorian etiquette, which sounds like it's a side, you know, conversation, but it isn't because when you read about all of these suggestions, you know, a lot of the things about being polite and being like Victorian level polite is you always make somebody feel good. You always say something nice about them. You, even if they're saying or doing or behaving crazy, you find something nice. You know, you're always decent. And that's how she is. You know, she she's like this classically just gracious person, mm-hmm. you know. I find it interesting that she made the um, transition from like journalism to like to a novelist because as a, as a journalist, your job is to tell a story in as few words as possible, and you can't do that with a uh, book. You got to really, you know, flush things out. And I I actually don't know if that's necessarily true because the best way to tell a story, even in a novel, is to use as few words as possible. You to use too many words is just that you know you have you. The whole point is to not just detract from the actual story. You tell the story in as clean and concise way as possible. And that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes you turn the pages instead of like rolling your eyes and like, oh my God, another description of a, you know, of a sunset. Is that something you had to work at to get really good at like telling the story, but not overtelling it? I actually had to do go in the other direction. I, for some reason, from the very beginning, when I started writing, I was like too sparse. Um, and I had to learn how to kind of flesh things out a little bit. That was, that was my, my, my personal learning curve, um, how to go deeper into a character and how to set the scene um, in, a, in a more effective way. How did you yeah. learn that? Did you, go, uh, did you take uh, classes or did you learn from like other writers? So I did both. So I started by taking online classes and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the goth, like anybody who writes is probably familiar with the Gotham writing uh, classes. Um, and they are great. They've been, they were incredibly helpful and useful. Um, I took a bunch of classes there. And then from there, I made connections. Some of them are still very good friends to this day and published, you know, a bunch of them are published authors and now they're my beta readers. And so, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. You need that. You need that feedback. Mm-hmm. Is there any one particular author who's, who's, uh, who you would love to get their take on your books? I, I think it might have to be a toss up between two. So Tana French, who's my absolute idol. Um, and Harlan Coben, because he also writes also right? <laughs> about um, small kind of small communities and tight family secrets and, you know, and that's what's very compelling to me and interesting. And he's kind of like the, the king of being able to do that effectively. So, so I got the chance to meet one of my idols, Brian Keene. And he was at this um, horror book expo. I saw him. I was like, oh, my God, he's there. He's there. And this guy has written some of my favorite books. And so I thought, you know what? Let's go see if I can get, like, a picture of him. Just ask, you know? So I was talking to um, one of the people in his group. I said, would it be possible to get a picture with him? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. I was like, oh, my God, it worked. (laughs) So I got to meet him. I shook his hand. We got a picture. I still have it today. That, for me, was my just, like, Externally, I think it was actually playing it cool. Internally, I was screaming. That's so amazing. That's, you know, I, I love the fact that authors, that there are authors who inspire that in in readers. I mean, I think that's such an awesome thing that, you, you know, there's something that's inside your head and you can put it down and then it can be just this amazing thing to someone you never met. Yeah. You well. know? Have you ever had that experience? Has someone ever come to you and said, you know, you know, you don't know me, we never met, but I absolutely love your books? I mean, amazingly, <laughs> um, not in person, but someone actually walked 
up to my house and left like a fan letter in my mailbox. <laughs> and and uh, and I mean, a few people have even have emailed me as well. But that's that's a, an amazing feeling, you know, when you get that. That is really, really wonderful that someone actually took the time. Because who, because who writes letters anymore? Number one, who actually writes yeah, letters? I know it was like handwritten, like fan mail. <laughs> you know, That's it was so amazing. Cool. Yeah, it was also cool. could it was be cool. a could be a good opener for your next book. Um. Ooh. See. See. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So earlier we talked about the story arc between the two books. Even though they are both standalones, there is an actual arc between these two. What is that arc and what do people kind of see if they were to read the books in order? The arc is personal growth, which is, you know, I, like I said, the first book begins with my character, Lainey, um, being basically at the bottom of her life in every way. She has had to leave the only career she ever wanted. Um, her husband leaves her. She has just all, everything is just absolutely not what she ever expected it to be. She's completely alone in the world. The only person she lives for is her kid. And then her kid goes away. And I wanted to take this person who, you know, that, that, you know, like I said before, that kind of thing doesn't happen to you out of the clear blue sky. There was something about her and how she is and what she wanted out of life and out of her relationships that led to this, you know, a certain level of um, blindness and a certain level of projection and, you know, and maybe I, I hesitate to say neediness because it wasn't really that because she's a very capable, you know, person. Um, she's kind of a badass, but at the same time, she's also clueless. And so I wanted to take somebody like that, who be somebody who basically never got a chance to, never really matured in certain ways. And then I'm taking her through stages to see how can she become you know a fulfilled person with healthy relationships during book two she's not there <laughs> but if there's ever going to be book three I'm hoping that by book three she's gonna get to a point where she understands how to have a, a healthy relationship with a person who's worthy of her so and the same thing goes for the kid you know the kid has it's easier with the kid because it's growth he starts when he's 13 and the first book he's 15 in the second book so there's kind of a natural progression that happens there and growth and him kind of learning what the world is about um and that's very interesting to me those are the arcs how uh capable is laney as um as a cop, I mean, because I, because one thing I kind of notice in books like these, the character usually has a balance of like they're pretty good at what they do, but not good enough that this is all just like easy peasy for them. So how, uh, where, where is like her like balance there? Uh, so the way I, I pictured her is she is very good at being an undercover, and to be an which is what my husband was, um, and to be an undercover, you have to be able to be an actor. You have to be able to come up with a persona down to like everything, the clothes you wear, the way you talk, the way you hold yourself, um, not even including the sort of IDs that you get like all kinds of fake IDs that are official fake IDs. Um, and she, she is very good at that. She's very good at gaining the confidence of people. She's very good at, at, the, at chatting people up at getting them to be comfortable with her. Um, getting them to trust her. She's good at all those things, which is kind of ironic because she herself trusts no one. And part of it could be because she knows how easy it is to, to fool someone. So by the time, basically by the time she begins the second book, she, she is not able to trust a per, anyone. She thinks everyone is, is 
is a liar. So that is that is definitely her um, her hill to climb, hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah. Given all that, how does she do with just regular everyday life? I mean, she kind of just goes along. Uh, so in the first book, she doesn't even really have a regular life because most of the first book is her trying to figure out what the hell happened to the kid. Um, and in the second book, her regular life is tied in with her profession. By then, she's a private investigator. So um, in her regular life, she still has to do a lot of these kind of subterfuge laden sort of things. She has to spy on people. She has to follow people. She has to dig into people's backgrounds. And she still has to be able to kind of chat people up and get them to trust her and open up to her. So she's kind of found a way to use those talents. Yeah, I'm really curious about how you are with releasing the books, how you are with saying, okay, it's done. No more edits. It's ready for the world. Well, I have a deadline. <laughs> That's fair. There we go. I have, a, I, have a, I have a publisher, and the publisher gave me a deadline. So once you have that, you, you meet your deadline. There we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. That was a quick answer. <laughs> it was a quick answer. All right. Yeah. Now, I think you mentioned earlier that um, you were listening to uh, to the audio for this book. So is there an like, audiobook version? Oh, yeah. There's audio Audio, oh, so cool! Version for both for both of them. Which oh, I'm very definitely getting about. it. Definitely yeah. getting that one. Uh, tell me yeah. about the about the person who brought this book to life. Well, okay. So the first one, I, I think her name was Cynthia Farrell, and she was good. She was good. She also narrated um, an Isabella Lente book. Hmm. So, and I I really I liked her voice. She she did a good job. There was at one point. And I, I mean, I wrote it, I edited it, I stared at it for like, you know, like a hundred billion times. I read the whole thing over and over and over. But at one point we were, my husband and I were listening to it in the car because he never read it. So he he wanted to hear it. And we got to where we were going and we parked, but we were like right in the middle of this chapter. So neither one of us wanted to leave. We were like, just listening until the chapter was over, you know, basically not breathing. And this, even with me, and I was like, and I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And then the second one, it's uh, Linda Jones, I think is the narrator. And um, she's also really good. I haven't heard the book yet because it's like, it's going to, it's coming to me, but it hasn't come to me yet. Um, but I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Oh, I, I I love audiobooks. I would say about like half the books yeah. I consume are in like audible format. So I love this stuff. Have you listened to uh, you know what, what what's kind of I think transcends audiobooks is the Beastie Boy book. Have you listened to it? No, but now is I got to check audiobook? that out. Oh my god! I love it Beastie is, Boys. I love the Beastie Boys, and I almost I was like almost crying when I was listening to it because. There, a lot of what they talked about in like early New York City was also my, what I grew up with. And a lot of the places they described and the people they described are all places I've been to and shows I've been to and people I knew when I was just like, my God, this is the best. But it's also how they do it because it's not just them narrating. They got like 20 different personalities, actors to narrate, but also not, they're not the only ones who wrote it. You know, like Colson Whitehead, you know, right? He wrote a chapter, hmm. which is the best chapter in the entire book. Hmm. It's the yeah. So I, anyway, I would say two of my of my of my favorite like audiobook productions. Uh, the first one isn't actually an an audiobook. It's actually more of like a radio show. It's called uh, We're Alive, and it's this like zombie okay. apocalypse story. But it's got full oh. cast, music, sound effects. It is so well done. It's so good. Like I will be driving. I'll get to where I'm going. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know what happens next. Let me let me at least get to like the section. So I, I have to. I'm gonna download. That. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, that sounds good. That and the audiobook for uh, World War Z. So you get a theme here of what I'm into. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that had yeah. a full cast of characters. Uh, M- Mark Hamill is in it. 
Oh. And he is such a good That's voice cool. actor. He's so good. Yeah. I mean, like, like his career, I know, it kind of stalled after Star Wars for a little bit. But he yeah. has had so much success as a, as a voice actor. I mean, the Joker. Guy was the voice of the Joker. How do you top that? Oh, really? And that voice. Oh, I didn't know that. He has been in yeah. so many like cartoons and video games. Um, mm-hmm. He was at, he was actually in the new uh, He Man series on Netflix. He played uh, Skeletor. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, right. yeah, that I, sounds really. I read that. I was like, oh, that's very cool. But anyway, moving on from my like various like nerdisms, uh, Amelia, what is next for you? So you got the second book out; it's out right now. But what's yeah. next for you? Well, I'm hoping there will be a third one. Me too. So, Me too. Yeah, <laughs> that's the hope. <laughs> Are you? Do you uh, have any like ideas for the third book? Oh, I have lots of ideas. I have. I have a very good idea. I have. I have a very, very good idea that makes me very excited, and I can only hope that, um, that it gets a chance. So. Okay. Well, I certainly hope there there is a third book, and for the folks at home, go to um um amelianeymark That's you go to. E-M-I-L-Y-A-Namark.com slash author for all the information. Uh, there is so much to find here. Of course, two amazing books. You get the audiobooks too, because I got to say, I'll read a book and then I'll get the audiobook version because I want to hear how it sounds. And Amelia, thank you so much. I am so glad that we, that we could do this. Yeah, thank you very much. This was great. Right. Thank you. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Amelia for joining me, and be sure to check out Behind the Lie, now available. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find your podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. As always, keep those ears open.